0: Now we're picking up this topic called Voices Rise Up. So we've had a couple of weeks of looking at the topic of injustice in our world and what God's got to say about it and how we can respond. We've had a couple of weeks we spoke to Peter Bergmeier about uh, industri- Indigenous matters and we spoke to Jen Beachy uh, about aid and global matters. And this morning I've got with me Susan Campbell. So. Welcome, Susan.
1: Hi, welcome. Great Thanks. to have you
0: with us. Yep. You've been around NCR for a couple of years now mm. and you've been around an organisation called Global Interaction yep. for a long time, like yep. 16 years or something like that. Yep. And they're the Baptist mission arm in yep. Victoria, Australia? Australia. Australia, yep. yeah. Yep. So we wanted to get you in and have a chat with you about this topic of injustice. Hmm. Tell us what, what's what's your particular um, interest in the broad injustices around the world and what, what's your particular bent on that?
1: Sure. I guess we in this uh, theme of injustice we were talking about the uh, injustice of resources and I think we all know a, a bit about the injustice of financial resources around the world. Mm. I read in the Age the other week that in 2018, um, 26 billionaires owned as much as more than half of the planet's population. 26 people own more than half. Wow, that's not right. That's not right. Wow. And um, the head of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, most wealthy um, person in the world, in the first five months of the global pandemic, he doubled his wealth while so many people were, lost their jobs. Yep. So we know about that. And yep. I actually don't want to talk about just the financial wealth. You want to hone it in world. a bit for I want us. want to hone it in on the distribution of Christian resources. So we have these jars here to represent... The um, statistics around the world... We, we love statistics at the moment. COVID numbers, US election... Yep, we're all about we're graphs hit, and curves hit, and... Yep. Some more statistics. So we can imagine that uh, this is about a third of the world's population who are Christians. Yep. They've got access. They identify as being Christians. This third of the world are not Christians, but they do have access. Yep. There's people around them that are Christians. There's churches around. They might have a Bible in their language. And this third of the world... What we call them least reached. I don't love that term, but they basically don't have access to the gospel. Mostly there's bit, it's about 3 billion people, 7,000 people groups. Now, wow.
0: So we're talking about the distribution of Christian resource. Yep.
1: yep. And this cool. is the distribution of Christian resource. 100 Tim I think the tech guys are really happy here because after this... 100 we Tim we're going to eat
0: them up <laughs> in a little while.
1: So imagine this is 1% of Christian resources, not just... Um, pastors, um, mission workers, Bibles, um, uh, Christian schools, theological education, percentages of the Christian resources going to the third of the world that is Christian compared to those that have no access. are we stopping yet? no no we 're going to keep going
0: really, so can this is one in there one
1: yep for now, one yes. handful, no just one, just yep, one we can keep going here
0: so this is the people who have
1: not Christian, but But they they've got connected. access
0: to some understanding of Christian or connection with... Yep. Yep,
1: yep, yep. So just one? Uh, you can go two now. Yep. Two. Yep, and we're just going to keep going here. So
0: that represents 2% of the entire... They're falling off the edge. Yep, they're falling off the edge. Are end. we still going? still going? We're
1: still going. We're still going. We can keep
0: going. We'll just sort of balance them.
1: Okay, we can keep going here. Wow. Yeah.
0: Shall we just pile them up down we the front? We can Wow. So okay, so that all belongs in that jar.
1: That's all belongs in that jar. Now this last percent... Well, there's nothing in this... Break it in half. Currently, less than 1% of all the world's Christian resources are working among the least reached.
0: So, people who don't know anything about Jesus yep, at all? No
1: access. Less than 3% are working with those who are not Christian but have access, and 97% are distributed to those who are already Christian. That's an injustice. injustice. I get it. I totally get it. So the
0: injustice of the dispersal of Christian resource across the world. Yep. Yep.
1: Why is this personal to you? I don't really know why, but I do remember when I first saw their statistics. It was about 20 years ago. You know those times where people say, do you remember when the Twin Towers fell or do Mm. you remember when Black Saturday happened? I remember when I first encountered this. It was very unremarkable. I was sitting in front of a computer screen. But I remember the feeling in my gut, this, that's not right. That's not fair. I can't believe it. I had tears in my eyes. I just was, like, wanting to tell the world, this is not right. Yeah. because I had experienced the sweetness of this. I was a pastor's kid. Um, I grew up with bibles on my shelf, Bible studies, leaders, hours of sermons, I've yep. been on camps. I most of my friends were were Christian or had access. I um, had, you know, new worship songs, I knew bible verses. So I had experienced this. So the this injustice kind of hit me. Um, and I, I guess my sense of mission is not sort of forcing it on people or or you know, making people um, being aggressive, anything like that. But just giving them a chance to hear, they can take it or leave it. But just the opportunity or the chance to hear is what kind of um, had you know drew my heart. Mm-hmm. So that was a long time ago. But there have been moments in time over the time where that kind of flame has been um, flickered or ignited. It's Quite specific. To... It's, a, it's yeah. an injustice
0: in your in your gut, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So
1: there's a few moments. I'll just tell you a couple of them. One, I moved from Sydney, or where I grew up, and I was teaching in Canberra my first year of teaching, um, and I was working at a school. Uh, most people think of Canberra as, you know, neat roundabouts and diplomats' kids. Yep. I was on the edge of Canberra in a really kind of rough area. This little pocket of um, a lot of broken families, a lot of abuse, drug issues. It was a really tough place. And I was there, my first teaching job, and I was the only Christian teacher in the school and there was only one Christian family. And I remember just one moment sitting in the staff room, feeling overwhelmed by the need of this school. Um, And it was exacerbated. My feeling of aloneness was exacerbated because I knew that just five Ks up the road, there was this Christian school where every single teacher was a Christian. Um, And I just felt, oh, I just want one. Imagine if one or two could come here with me and pray for these kids in my class. The Christian family in the school, the mum of the, that family was a lady named Cheryl, she had twins that I taught in my grade one class. This beautiful lady, like a gun parent. She was the one that would you know leave flowers on the teacher 's desks, wait with the kids after school. His parents had forgotten to pick her up, just encouraging, lovely, mm-hmm. um, ran a little kind of group, just a beautiful mum, and one day her kids were doing it tough it just the, the school environment was oh in a really difficult place, and I just said to her Cheryl. Why don't you just go and en- enroll your kids out the road? They don't have to deal with this stuff. And she said, like, I know it's cliched, but salt isn't any good in the salt shaker. Mm-hmm. And that was that moment of me going, oh, yeah. She was there I, on purpose. Yeah. And I, I do not want to make a, a comment about Christian schools or not. It was just no. one experience of my story of of feeling that that injustice. Mm-hmm. A few years later, I was in a central asia with a group of victorian youth pastors and these guys had been they were guys had had been um had all the wealth of the the christian resources in their upbringing a whole lot of resources around them full to the eyeballs Um, full to the eyeballs yep um and we were uh, doing some prayer walking meeting with some intercultural workers spending time um, in some communities couple of days there was this guy young guy called henry who had a bit of english so he kind of drove us around and showed us some places and i remember one afternoon he said oh let's go up we had a bit of time to kill so said, let's go up this mountain and we climbed scrambled up and we were just joking mucking around you know aussie people carrying on and we got to the top of this mountain and we stopped and he said let's just sit here for a moment and it was one of those literally mountaintop beautiful mm. moments mm. we could hear the call to prayer from the mosque in the village See the beautiful mountains and the rivers, and it was just like wow. You know, when you sense that the spirit and this awe of God's creation, mm. and this guy Henry started to sing, and we're like, this is you know, a bit, bit strange. Not many you know Aussie blokes would just start their singing. We couldn't understand what he was saying, but he started to sing, and he paused and said, Oh, it's a uh, the words I'm saying is a worship song. I'm I'm, I'm glorifying God. And the spirit moved in us and people were uh, in tears and just emotional and just kind of joined with his spirit, you know, Mm. deep calls to deeps, joined in his spirit in prayer. And over um, some time, Henry asked, well, we asked Henry, what do you want us to pray for you about as we were leaving? And we did know that Henry, um, because of his faith in his community, if he's parents and his uncles and his community found out that he was a Christian he would be killed yeah. but he did not pray for protection for his life he asked us to pray that someone else would be singing his song that he wrote in his language in heaven he said when all the tribes and tongues and people and nations are coming together to worship god he said may there be someone else singing my song his people group 120,000 people muslim ostracized no church, no Christian presence, no mission workers, just Henry. Wow. So that was his prayer. Mm.
0: Yep, yep.
1: <sighs> I, I just want to grab a, a,
0: a Tim Tam and it is an injustice. Mm. It's not right. What does, what does global interaction do? What, you know, how, how is it that they're... Um, actually, let, let me go back a step. How did we get here? Because yeah, I feel like this this shouldn't should never have been the
1: case, and we've had sure. mission for a long time. How did yep. we get here? I don't really know how we got there. Um, I don't like has God stopped caring for the three billion people around the world who don't know him? There's nothing in my Bible or in my experience of God that could that leads me to believe that's true. No no. has God stopped calling people into mission? No there's nothing in my understanding of the Bible or my experience of God that believes that could be true. Now he sees this and says that's not right. So perhaps we're just unaware or perhaps we're not paying attention, perhaps we're not listening or perhaps we're enjoying these sweet Tim Tams a bit too much. They're fat, they're sweet, they're good. When we moved to Melbourne, we lived in Fitzroy North. We rented some rooms um, in this old Victorian terrace And we lived lived there with an old Italian kind of nonna who um, had been part of the community for a long time. postcode was 3068, Clifton Hill, Fitzroy North, the most secular postcode in Victoria. We didn't know that at the time. Very few active churches. I knew no one um, who was a follower of Jesus in my community, my mum's group, book club, play group, or our our entire school community. Mm. So Tim and I connected with a tiny house church. We met um, during the week, shared a meal, and committed to finding out what God was up to in 3068 and joining him in that. Fast forward 12 years, the old Italian nonna died. Um, We couldn't afford rent in Fitzroy North anymore, um, and Tim was looking for a job in a new school. We had no family ties here, no connections, so we kind of spread the net anywhere, and one thing led to another, and we ended up here in his teaching a school in Mitcham. 20 kilometres on the Eastern Freeway, I cannot tell you how much it makes a world of difference. Mm-hmm. We came here to Ringwood. I remember an early conversation with our daughter's grade two teacher, a wonderful Christian woman who was telling us about the other Christians on staff and the chaplain that works in the school and all the volunteers that come and cook pancakes for the kids um, and you know, it's all this stuff. And I remember she said, oh, there's five Christian, active church-going Christian families here. Like, my draw is dropping. I'm like, five families in this school? She said, no, five in this in class. The class. No, <laughs> wow, me? yeah.
0: But that's the full cookie jar. That's the
1: cookie jar. I heard of Melbourne's Bible Belt, but I kind of thought, you know, oh, maybe it's just mm. like, you know, thin rope of a belt. No, it's thick, it's got a big brass buckle, and here we are, mm. right in the middle of it, um, and I, I appreciate that there's still heaps of need here, um, but in the broad strokes, this is a pretty amazing place to live. Yeah. Tim tells me in education, the best place to be educated in Australia is the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Mm. Perhaps the best place to be a Christian mm. is the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah, Perception. And we don't want to feel bad.
0: Because this is where we are, and this is, yep. and there is need. Yep. Um. But we also want to just feel that little sting of mm. some. There's there's empty jars elsewhere. Yeah. And we need to know it. Yeah. And be aware of it. And I guess that's the the point of this topic is we want to invite people to have a posture of listening. Yep. And a posture of being open. Mm. So that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. W- what. Um, What does global interaction do? How does global interaction speak into this injustice?
1: To answer that, we're going to watch a little video that will tell you a little bit about that. Yep. All right. Let's let's check out the video. Um, There's actually two, so let's check them out.
2: Jesus told his first wave of followers that they were to go into all the world and make disciples, could they possibly have conceived of how far that would take them, and indeed future followers of Jesus? I mean, could they have even imagined what the very edges of the Roman Empire were like, let alone daring to believe that future Christians would take this disciple-making project to the top of Scandinavia, to the tip of Argentina, further west than the Atlantic, further east than here in Cambodia? And yet by the power and vision of this one man, the truth that our God reigns through Jesus the Saviour has been announced and demonstrated right around the planet. It has liberated and set free millions upon millions of people throughout history. It is a relentless and unstoppable global movement. Yet that movement, launched by Jesus' words to his first followers, have resulted in one third of the population of this planet identifying themselves as Christians. And last year, the population of the planet reached seven billion people, so we're talking about a lot of Christians. But, what about the rest? third of the global population is considered least reached. So while Christianity has grown rapidly and continuously throughout all continents, there are many places where it's encountered barriers within countries. Barriers caused by tradition, hatred, religion, culture and language. The least reached have no indigenous community of believers to share the gospel with them. For example, here in Cambodia, less than 1% of the Khmer are Christian. So the chances of, say, this guy even knowing a Christian, let alone knowing one well enough to talk to about faith, well, they're pretty slim. Many people in these communities can go from birth to death without ever having an opportunity to hear the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. Christians being involved in mission, there are still billions of least reached people. It's not easy. It's going to take time. It's going to take creativity and innovation. It's going to take a bit of give on our part to address the imbalance between Christians and workers distributed to the West and those to the least reached. As Australian Baptists, we're taking this challenge head on. It's in our nature. Global Interaction is working in nine least-reached people groups in Asia and Africa to bring the message of Jesus to people in culturally appropriate ways. It's just not helpful to view these groups as resistant opponents to the gospel, and so we don't. We see them as communities of friends, neighbours and colleagues getting on with their lives. These are people that our team members can get to know, love, support and empower to embrace faith in Jesus and develop their own distinctive ways of following Him. The ultimate goal is to establish communities of faith that are themselves engaged in mission in their own way, using their own language among their own friends and relatives. Coupled with that is a commitment to help the poor help themselves, to provide for their families, to increase their education, to develop their communities. It's word and deed together. That's
0: great to hear about those. There's actually other videos in that video series, isn't there?
1: Yep, there's a whole series with some um, discussion guides and a whole lot of stuff. If anyone wants to access that, they can look on the website, Global Interaction. So you can find those videos just on YouTube by looking up
0: Global Interaction and I think they're called MOVE, Move, but they could go to the Global Interaction website to pick up the guides that go with it. Yeah. Yeah, good, Mm. good. That might be something good for people to do. Susan, tell us, you know, in your years of working in this field and actually trying to address this injustice, Mm. what have have you learned?
1: What have you learned along the way? What have you learned about yourself, about God, others? Mm. I guess the key thing that I've learned is guilt and rage and finger-pointing and judgment and anger are not great motivators. We don't want to send angry people away. There is that sting that you talked about that that, uh, does kind of, Hold part of that motivation, but it needs to be really balanced with a appreciation of what we have, a love for Jesus, a love for sharing God's message, a love for culture, for community, Mm. a love for other people. There there might be that kind of rage there, but it's going to be overwhelmed or in the midst of this this sense of love also learned that having an attitude of scarcity is also not a great motivator this looks kind of scarce at the moment and it is but there is enough to go around mm. you know god's not um you know sending us into something without the resources yes so that in some air. ways the <laughs> image
0: of the jar overflowing we actually should take that as a there is actually plenty there is plenty there is, there plenty. is plenty there's plenty. not a yeah there's not yep. a
1: need to just hold it yep mm. and these people groups that we talked about the three billion people we might call them least reached but does not mean that they are least reached by God. There are no God-forsaken places on earth. God's spirit is working there, drawing people to himself. He's there way before we even got there. Um, God Mm. is moving. The spirit is active, drawing Mm. people to himself. God's vision for renewal for the world is way bigger than us and all our stuff and all our plans and all our ideas. We're just joining him in what he's doing and there is so much joy in that. Mm. I did say before, you know, maybe the best place to be a Christian is at Eastern Soters Melbourne. The people that I connect with overseas, they Not would say like the it. best place to be is in Kazakhstan or in Malawi or in Mozambique or whatever. They, yeah. the, the joy and the experience they have of depending on him, relying on him and joining him in what he's already doing is incredible mm. and it is life-giving. Yeah, so. there's something that there's something
0: really rich about needing to depend on God. Yeah. Too. Yep. 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 Yeah. 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 Wow. I, I actually feel like there's part of me that wants to, you know, pick up all the other ones and redistribute it. It's actually a little bit frustrating. I don't know whether it's a bit of O C D or something, but I actually want to fix it and mm. maybe that's important for me to hold mm. um and and recognise that little tension of I actually do want to solve this and mm. to remember this image um and, and work out you know what I can do. I guess I was thinking about the whole idea that not not everybody will pack their bags mm. and go. Yeah. Um, in fact, for myself, I know that a little while ago I was asked mm. to go and participate in church plant in the northern suburbs. Mm. You know where, where the, the the jar is. It's not quite here, but but it's mm. fairly it's fairly bereft of, of people that are out there doing that work. Yep. Uh, and I said no mm. because. It didn't feel right, mm. and I needed to be here, and there were a bunch of reasons, yeah. and there was there was a little sting in that that I didn't go, mm. um, and we don't want people to feel guilty for mm. that because no. I'm meant to be here. Mm. So what can we do? If, yeah. if, and and in that there are some people that are listening today that will have a button pushed in their heart, yeah. and they will get a sense of call, and they'll say, "I'm meant to go." Mm. What she said that hit me, and I and mm. hopefully. They do and
1: they respond to that. Mm. Um, but w- w- what can we do broad and wide? Sure, lots of ways that people could take even just a little crumb of this Tim Tam and pop it in this jar over here. Um, awareness, finding out information. Mm. So, you know, through websites, through um, the Joshua Project, is a fantastic site that talks all about the least reached people groups around the world. Um, being the powerhouse of prayer behind some of this work among the least reached, being the, the financial givers out of our abundance giving mm. to those that are actually doing this work. Interestingly, it's less than 10% of even missionaries, mission workers are working with the least reached. Mm. So um, lots of ways people can help. Really, really practically, next weekend, I'm facilitating a discernment weekend of 18 people from around Australia and I think three or four of them are from Melbourne's eastern suburbs who are considering or discerning whether God is calling them into intercultural mission. Mm. So you can pray for those 18 people mm. uh, next weekend, yeah. Saturday and Sunday, and for me as I facilitate, um, to, to see whether God is calling these people into this work. So, mm. yeah, that'd be great.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Lots of possibilities for us to, to get connected in, and the idea is for us to have a, a posture of listening, yeah. investigating, checking out, learning more, and finding that actually there is one little thread that, that strikes my attention that I might actually participate in, and yeah. it's in one of those other two jars. Yeah, that's, yep. that's a great image that you've brought us today. Mm. Um, we've actually got um, a video of a couple who were yep. a part of New Community some time ago, Ryan and Susie Smith, and they're yep. actually working with Global Interaction at the moment and planning yep. to pack their bags and head off, aren't they? Yep, yep, yeah. It'd be great. Yep. So, let's, yep. watch it, so yes. let's let's watch the video of of those guys and hear what they're doing and where they're going. Troy caught up with them via Zoom.
3: Well, hello and welcome to Ryan and Susie Smith. So good to have the two of you here with us. And for those of you that don't know Ryan and Susie, um, what roles did you play when we started New Community? Yeah, so that was
4: back in 2002. Uh, just as, as people are part of the church, part of the planting team, I became a part of the leadership team and and then I was associate pastor for a couple of years working alongside you, Troy.
3: You moved up to Kyneton to the, the home of the Mighty Tigers up there. And um, so, Suze, just tell us, what are you doing now? What's your role up there in Kyneton?
5: Currently, I work at Bendigo Health. So I travel about an hour up the highway every day to work in a paediatric
3: rehab team. And Ryan, what are you doing right now there in Kyneton? I was working with
4: Global Interaction, the... Um, Global Mission Agency for the Baptist Movement in Australia, but finished that just as COVID hit in um, March. And so over the last six months or so, I've, uh, I've, I've been doing a little bit of work back at Kyneton Baptist Church.
3: What are you guys undertaking? Can you just unpack it for those that are listening for the first time today?
4: Well, we're, we're preparing to go to South Asia to work with Global Interaction, the Baptist Mission, and live in the country and uh, work um, alongside our community development organisation there and to, to, to work alongside the, the people there. There's a community of, of people who are following Jesus in, in the country there. Our role will be to go and really journey alongside them, encourage them in, in their faith as uh, they seek to reach out to people in their own country.
3: Now, we're being sensitive about which country. So we're saying South Asia and uh, it's a different population. If you were to describe a little bit about the, the nature of that country, its demographic, what would you say?
4: It's a it's one of the most densely populated places on earth. Um, there's 170 million people living there in a in a space two thirds the size of Victoria. Much of the country is rural. People live um, as subsistence farmers, and it's a very very poor country. About three quarters of the population live on on a, around two US dollars a day.
5: They value education highly and female education, probably a world leader in that. So there's a lot of people who are very well educated, but then because there's so many people, there's just a lot of people who have very limited opportunities. I'm looking forward to working, you know, alongside the development agency in all sorts of ways. Uh return on child health, disability advocacy, palliative care, literacy and numeracy, vocational training. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited. The skills I use most days in my work now, there is a space for them in South Asia as well.
3: If I could ask you to just describe for us what's led you here, um, why on earth would you want to leave the comforts of Kyrton, Um, in order to to go over to the, the the difficulties and the challenges in a developing country? What's what's got you to here? How would you summarise that?
4: Very much, it's been God leading, but was told 30 years ago that that we'd uh, go and serve in South Asia I I would have thought you're crazy I remember when I first sort of fell in love with Jesus and his mission in the world promising to to God that I would go wherever he called except for South Asia because there was something about that country that just uh, or that region of the world that just freaked me out but over over time it it I don't know what it is that we found ourselves drawn to that part of the world uh, through the people we've met, but also through, you know, our experiences in different places. When we went to Kyneton Baptist church, there was such a huge history within the church of people going and serving in South Asia. The first intercultural worker that ever left uh, probably Kyneton in in 1890 went to that same place. And so there was, this really long connection with the, with the, the country. And we had the opportunity to go and visit and we just fell in love with the people.
5: I first went there 10 years ago. And I don't know, some of you may remember, I actually took Matilda there when she was 10.
3: We this went is to your, 10 oldest, your oldest, your oldest daughter.
5: Yeah, My oldest, who's now nearly 21, everyone. <laughs> um, and I've been back four times, I think in the last little while. And I, when I'm there, I sort of, I remember saying to God, oh, I could live here. love to live here, but never really thinking that that would happen. So, yeah, careful what you say. Um, yeah, careful what great- you say
3: and careful what you say you won't do. <laughs> yeah.
5: My great-great-great-grandma or great-great?
3: Something like
5: that. Used to fundraise.
3: Just an ancestor.
5: Used to fundraise for the the work there.
3: So, Suze, tell yeah. me. Why are you going?
5: It makes a lot of sense to me.
3: (laughs) What do you mean it makes sense to you?
5: It just makes sense. I just can see so many parts of my life building to this point. I can just see the opportunities God's given me here to learn and the things that I enjoy. I can see that I'm going to enjoy them there too. It just makes sense that God's going before me and making me want to do this.
4: We have seen how God has moved us out um, over over different seasons, um, even from leaving New New Community, which was one of the hardest things we we had to do. I think we we loved our time at New Community, but the hardest things for us to say
3: goodbye. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but there came a time when you know we felt really challenged about uh, regional Victoria and and. Or the needs in, in, in good leadership, Christian leadership in regional Victoria. And, you know, having lived in Kinton, um, still a, a relatively affluent part of the world and seeing the need in South Asia. I mean, less than, less than 1% of the population are followers of Jesus. Most people in that country would, would not have ever met a believer. And, um, there's deep need from a, uh, you know, uh, an economic point of view as well and we've felt challenged to use whatever skills we have to um, come alongside the people and express God's love in that place I, I think he's moved us to that point where we really want to make a difference and actually not to go would be really hard for us now uh, that might sound strange, but mm. I think that's how God has moved us over over the over the years. yeah, if there's people who would like to track with us um, please yeah we'd love to be in contact. We really do need a, a team of of partners who who will pray for us um, we need people who will who will support us financially as well so that we're able to do this
3: hey it, it's been brilliant talking to you um today, and uh, just really excited for you both. And I look forward to coming over and and visiting, uh, I think, you know, sometime in the future, God willing. Um, But, hey, it's just been lovely to catch up tonight and to be able to um, talk with you again about the ways in which God's been moving in your lives. And uh, we look forward to um, some further partnering and tracking alongside and encouraging you in in that work. So thank you very much.
4: Thank you, Troy. It's great to... share with new community special place in our lives hello to everybody out there it's been great to be mm-hmm. with you
1: i would like to offer you a brief reflection on a story that we find in the bible in mark chapter four it's a story of jesus and his disciples crossing over a lake they're on the edge of this lake it's about 13 kilometers wide in modern day israel looking over to the shores of what is modern day syria until this point, Jesus had been teaching on one side of the lake, preaching to his home crowd, the, the Jews, people that, and he gathered quite a following. The crowds of people were growing so numerous that he ended up getting into a boat and just pushing it out from the shore a little bit so he wasn't getting crushed. Like Jesus was ahead of the game. He knew social distancing. Then Jesus and his, said to his friends, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And we easily skip over that sentence and we go on because some good stuff's going to happen on the lake and when we get to the other side. But let's go back to that sentence. Jesus says to his followers, let's go to the other side of the lake. Hang on, the other side of the lake, they're the non-Jews. That's where the Gentiles live. Unclean, unliked, unreligious, unknown, unfamiliar, different, the other Jesus' disciples at this point would have assumed that Jesus' work was all among the Jews. With things going so well here, why would we go over there? Isn't it just easier to stay here where we are? This crossing of the lake was an incredibly significant moment. It's an amazing sentence. This movement of Jesus and his followers crosses geographic, cultural, religious boundaries. Why? to extend the kingdom of God. This trip across the lake was eventful. We read about this big storm that blows up. The um, disciples are scared for their life. They think they're going to drown. Jesus is asleep in the boat. They wake him up. They have this discussion about their faith. Then Jesus calms the wind and the waves. He stills the storm. Up until that point, the disciples had seen Jesus heal and do some other amazing stuff, but he hadn't had the power over nature before. That's kind of cool. Then we get to the lake, the other side of the lake, and what happens there is even more dramatic. On this side of the lake, there's a man there who has, um, it says he's demon-possessed, or some serious mental health issues. He has, been, has broken the binds on his wrists and on his legs. He's living in these tombs where these cemeteries are out, outside of the town. And he's this crazy guy calling out to Jesus. Jesus does what Jesus does and he heals the man. This encounter with Jesus changes this guy's life. And he begs to Jesus, take me back over the, to the other side of the lake with you. I want to go with you to that side. And Jesus says no. He doesn't just say no, stay in this isolated place. He says no. Go back. Go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. This guy did. He told the people, and we, we read that the people were amazed. The birth of the church in this region begins here through this really unlikely, fringe-dwelling, unwell man, simply because he had an encounter with Jesus. I love, we see it all throughout the Bible, the people God chooses to use. We read later in Mark that Jesus actually returns to this region and when he does, there is actually a great hunger from a lot of people to hear more about him and his message. This is the place where the feeding of the 4,000 happens and in this story, there are seven baskets of food left over which people say represent the seven Gentile nations, a sign that Jesus has come not just for the Jewish people but for the whole world not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. This is an extraordinary change that has begun and it is rippling out as a result of making a disciple of Jesus on the other side of the lake. That's significant, but there is another element to this story. The disciples who are watching Jesus and following him, they come across the, in the boat with him and they go back with him this story comes right on the heels of jesus teaching to his followers about the nature of the kingdom of god he tells them just before this that the kingdom of god is like a mustard seed a tiny little seed that when it is planted it grows and grows so even birds can perch in its shade it's like he's saying i've done all the talking now i'm just going to show you you've heard of my words now see my actions he gets into the boat and he goes to the other side of the lake so these disciples, they travel in the boat with him, they see what happens. I wonder what's going on in them as they're sitting in the boat going back across to their side of the lake. There's this crazy storm, there's this crazy guy, there's this healing, there's, only, there's 2,000 pigs, this weird story. And they come back, perhaps in the stillness, along the lake with Jesus Surely they are changed, perhaps just as much as the man who has been healed. Their understanding before that was that Jesus was only to the Jews. Now they're understanding that it's to the Gentiles, it's to the whole world. That God is at work in places that they had thought unclean beyond what they even thought possible. Their understanding of God and his mission has just exploded and expanded. they have learned that you don't need, they've also learned that you don't need to bring a follower of Jesus back into your own own culture to make them like you insiders within their community in their language in their culture in their traditions can share and shape and build other followers of Jesus without having to bring them back into their culture but it first took an outsider didn't it it first took an outsider coming to have that in first encounter with Jesus so the crossing of the lake made disciples in two directions first the man who encountered Jesus for the first time and then Jesus followers as they come back with a deeper understanding of what the kingdom of God and what mission is all about have you picked up on this link between this injustice of the least reach we talked about before and this crossing of the lake story Jesus invites his followers, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's move away from the crowds, the comfort, the abundance to the other side where people haven't encountered, where people haven't had the opportunity to hear. Let's go even up the scales. Let's go give people a fair go. Let's go extend the kingdom of God because that is what following Jesus is all about. Let's go across to the other side of the lake. Perhaps for the disciples, the act of faith is not just trusting that Jesus would still the storm and save their lives. Perhaps for the disciples, it's not just that trusting Jesus will heal this man. Perhaps the act of faith is getting into the boat and going across the lake. I want to show a short clip now of a couple of my friends who have gone across the other side of the lake.
6: Hey, New Community Ringwood. My name is Tim Downs and I'm part of a team of Global Interaction Intercultural Workers. I'm based here in Malawi. Um, I've been here for 12 years with my family, but I haven't always been here. Before my wife and I, we were actually, I was a builder in North Queensland. My wife was a teacher. And often on a Friday afternoon, we would just be thinking, is this what we do? Is, is this a pattern that we stick into the next 20, 30, 40 years? So we started praying and God sent us to Malawi. As I said, we've been here 12 years and we love being part of what God is doing. Life is very different for the people here. They just don't have the opportunity to interact with the story of Jesus that we do. It was only a couple of weeks ago, I was in a village and I was sitting talking with a lady. Her name was Mama Abidi. And she said, Baba, is what you're telling me true? Is this really a real story? And I guess when I stopped and thought about it, I go, you know what? This lady, she actually doesn't have a smartphone with a Bible app on it. She doesn't have a local church that she can go to. She doesn't have any Christian friends. She can't read. She can't write. But that wouldn't be very helpful anyway, because she doesn't actually have the Bible in her language. Really, there was just no way that this lady was going to interact with the story of Jesus. And that's part of the reason that Global Interaction gets a bunch of supporters, a bunch of partners, And they send people all the way to these little remote places. They sit them down under trees. They learn the language. They learn the culture so that one day they'll get an opportunity to sit under a tree and share the message of Jesus with a person who's never heard it before.
7: Hi, New Community Ringwood. I'm Eliza, and I live here on the Silk Road with my husband David and our three children about 10 years ago we were really struck by the graph that shows how resources are spent around the world and the injustice of the uh, fraction of the resources that are spent in least-rich people groups uh, at the time i was a journalist david was working for local government uh, we had three uh, no, we had two children soon to have three just living pretty normal lives But we were uh, really convicted by the realisation that all the people we were ministering to, be that at a playgroup in Wodonga or um, through music ministry, they all could have met Jesus if they wanted to. They could have found a church, they could have bought the book, they uh, probably had friends or relatives who know him. But here on the Silk Road that is not the case. And God really uh, spoke to our hearts about the need here.
8: Hi new community, Ringwood. I'm Kath and I live here in Mozambique, serving with Global Interaction amongst the Yao people, our least reached Muslim people group. Almost nine years ago, my husband and I were living in Perth, raising our family, working, serving heaps in our local church and, and life was going great. But we'd heard and we'd even seen firsthand some of the ways in which people are limited in terms of their access to hearing the Word of God in a way that makes sense to them here. And really, as we've lived here and we've shared deeply in the lives of people, we've come to understand more and more about how complex and challenging those limitations are. Most of my friends live in houses without power, without water, um, with very, very basic conditions. A lot of them have fled multiple wars during their lifetime. Many of those like during the years where they would have been at school. So I'd say about 95% of the women that I hang out with can neither read nor write. Um, So even if they did have a Bible, which hardly anyone does, they wouldn't be able to read it. But I guess what saddens me most is that people say to me, I think God's forgotten about us. They've never, ever had the opportunity in their whole entire lives for someone to tell them that God, the creator of the universe, loves them deeply, loves them so much that he sent his son to die for them.
1: So we've heard about the other side of the lake. We've heard a bit about what the other side of the lake is for Ryan and for Susie and for Tim and Kath and Eliza and their families. But what about us? What is the other side of the, la- the lake for for me and for you? Perhaps the other side of the lake is really the other side of the street, some of our neighbours who we don't yet know. Perhaps the other side of the lake is the mums that stand on that corner at pick-up or the, the guys that meet in that corner of the office at work or the... Um, the the person on that that platform over there on our daily commute perhaps the other side of the lake is the inner city really secular areas of Melbourne or it's the the new developments on the outskirts of our city where there are so few churches so little um, access to the gospel perhaps the other side of the lake is somewhere like Africa or somewhere in Asia I want to finish with a quote from Frederick Buchner. He says, Go. Go for God's sake, for your own sake too, and for the world's sake. Climb into your little tub of a boat and keep going because Christ sleeps in the deepest selves of all of us and in whatever way we call on him, as the disciples did in their boat, to come awake within us and to give us courage and to give us hope and to show us each one our way.